scripture reading comes from Psalm 23, verses 1 to 3. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. This is the word of the Lord. Well, we are starting off on a new series. We have traditionally done a psalm for the summer every summer, or psalms. In this particular uh, summer session of January, we're going to spend four Sundays in Psalm 23. Now, if you've been in church for a long time, I know that you've heard this psalm. You know it, you've heard it maybe at a funeral at some point, or perhaps you yourself said it to your children as they were going to sleep at night over them as a comforting psalm. Perhaps you've purchased something that you got at Kurong or other bookstores that has it written out in lovely script with a shepherd there with maybe a sheep on its back and you put it up in your house and you look at it. Uh, even if you've maybe never been in church before, somehow in your psyche, somehow in your mind and your heart, you recognize these words. You've heard them said somewhere, perhaps on a TV show somewhere. And so what we're going to do over the next four weeks is we're going to take this psalm and we're going to look at little bits of it and see what it reveals to us about who God is and what it reveals to us about who we are and how that relation operates. Now when we come to this passage, we recognize that it is a psalm that is written, it is a song. And so what I want to start off by doing is read you the entirety of the psalm again so that you have it in your mind as we follow through. And then we're going to jump back into those first three verses and take a look at those. So listen again to the word of the Lord. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Dallas Willard, who's a theologian from the States, wrote a book about this particular group. Actually, it was a collection of talks that he gave that they put together in a book, and the title of that book is called Life Without Lack. And it really is taking from that first verse there that it says, I shall not want. And so he says that if we truly grasp the meaning of this psalm and we let it affect our life, we will recognize that we as followers of Jesus, those of us who are sons and daughters and placed into Christ, we can live a life without lack. In fact, a life of abundance which really is reminiscent to John uh, reminding us of what Jesus said about being the good shepherd, that he has come to give us life abundantly. 
And so as we look at this, what we want to recognize first is this call out that the Lord God, the Almighty, the one who is above all things and before all things, the one who has everything in order and the one who holds all things together, that he is the one that says to us in our hearts and in our minds that I am your shepherd. I'm the one that takes care of you. I'm the one who cares for you. I'm the one who loves you and knows you. I'm the one that before all things were created you. And I have your best interest in heart. But oftentimes we rest in that place and we don't recognize it. Harold Kirshner, who is a rabbi, wrote a book about this passage as well. And in it he says this, If the Lord is my shepherd, if it's his responsibility to keep me safe, why isn't he doing a better job of it? Why is it that I can never watch the news on television or open my morning paper without hearing or reading about some tragedy or crime? Why am I constantly seeing good people dying, good people crippled by illness, good people divorced, fired, cheated? Why is God saving grace and compassion? Where is it in all of those cases? See, the verb there about the Lord being our shepherd tells us that he is shepherding us. Eastern shepherds guarded their sheep. They led them. They provided food and water for them. They took care of them when they were weary, bruised, cuts, or sick. They rescued them when they strayed and they knew their names. They assisted in the delivery of their lambs and in every way they simply loved them completely. And so we know that when David writes this psalm, he has that view of a shepherd. David himself having been a shepherd. David himself being the one who has fought away big animals to save his sheep who probably knew all the names of his sheep and recognized them, who himself had helped give birth to those lambs. David recognized what the job of a shepherd was. And so when he says, the Lord is my shepherd, he is thinking about that description that I just said, those that simply loved their sheep. And yet in the back of our minds, Kirshner's words sometimes ring true to us. If God is my shepherd, why is he not doing such a good job? And part of that is because we want to take that next phase or phrase and expand it in our hearts in a way that meets our needs. If the Lord is my shepherd, what? Then I shall not want. And that's where it comes back to. Because in our minds, when we say I shall not want, we begin to think of the desires of our own hearts and the things that we think will make us happy and the things that we believe are going to make our lives more fulfilled. We go to that place where we think, if only, we live in a place of if only, if only this would happen, then life would be better. If only this would take place, then my life would be secure. If only this relationship would happen, then I would be happy and fulfilled. We think of that word, wants. And we think of little children and all that they want. Perhaps you've been with your own child or it is other children that you've cared for as aunties or uncles. And you've been in a grocery store with them walking up and down the aisles. 
and you know that constantly and forever they are finding things on each aisle, even if it's the pet aisle, and you don't have pets yourself of something that they want that is there. That little doggy toy looks awfully nice. It would be fun to have, even though we don't have a dog. Maybe if we had the doggy toy, we would end up getting a dog, and that's all that I really want. You see, and it's in that place that then we go back and say, wait, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He's not giving me everything that I want. He's not giving me all that I need. He's not making my life as secure and, and careful and confined as I would like it to be. It's not controlled. As a matter of fact, it seems awfully out of control sometimes. But the fact is, is that translation of want might not be the best way to read the Hebrew word there. Perhaps more accurately, it needs to say this, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall lack for nothing. Or the Lord is my shepherd, what more do I need? See, the fact is, is God did not promise us that we would be safe. But what God promises us is that we will never be alone. That the shepherd did not leave his sheep. He goes to find the one that's lost, but he leaves them under protection and care. The good shepherd knows his sheep and he calls them by name and they follow him. Why? Because they are not left alone. Because he is ever present. You see, the fact is, is God will provide everything that I need. The issue for us is whether we desire things beyond that point. So the first thing that it reveals to us about God is the fact that God has our backs. He knows us better than we know ourselves, and he will not leave us alone. He will provide all that we need. And the first thing we learn about us in this is that our desire sometimes supersedes what he is giving us because our hearts turn towards ourselves and think we would make better shepherds even though we are merely sheep. So what does it mean to not want? What does it mean to receive everything that God has given us? Philip Keller, he worked as a shepherd for a while, for about eight years, and he recorded his insights called A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23. And he says this when we come to that second place where God says, you shall not want, here's what I'll do for you. I'll make you lie down in green pastures and beside still waters and I will restore your soul and I will lead you in the paths of righteousness. Those are the four things that the shepherd does so that we do not have wants. Well, what does that mean? Keller says this, when, shepherd, when sheep lie down, it's because they are safe and satisfied. It is almost impossible for them to be made to lie down unless four requirements are met. Owing to their timidity, they refuse to lie down unless they are free from all fear. So they must not have fear. And because of their social behavior within the flock, sheep will not lay down unless they are free from friction from the other sheep around them. So if there's something going on and they're rubbing against each other as sheep, then they won't lay down. They won't rest. There's friction there. And then it says if they're tormented by flies or parasites, sheep won't lay down. They need to have those external things removed and internal sicknesses taken away from them. 
So only when they're free from those pests are they able to relax. And then lastly, sheep will not lay down as long as they feel they need to have food, that they need to find food. They must be free from hunger. So lying down, being made to lie down, implies that the sheep are free from fear, friction, flies, and hunger. That all their needs are met together. They are there. And so for us, as we come to this passage, what we recognize is that God is the one that provides all of our needs. And what are those needs that are being met? This, that he brings us back into whole, right, true relationship with him, with ourselves, with one another, and with place. Right, that it's in those moments that God steps into our lives and he says, I have brought you into a gathering of people who will love you and know you and will, you will be understood and that you can know and love and understand them as well. That yes, that there is friction that happens and we don't feel safe sometimes in our own relationships, but God says, no, I will bring you to a place of safety so that you will be able to lay down. And I will ease that friction. I will take it away. Why? Because I have come for you and sacrificed in love for you. That I pursue you in that place. That I fill you up and nourish you on my word. That we do not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the Lord. And so we stand in that place and we are no longer hungry because even though we may want for other things, God says, I will fill you to your need and even to abundance. We recognize that there are things internally in our, we, we call it sin. Other people might call it brokenness. Some people might call it uh, a wrong way of thinking. But the bottom line is, is our little hearts, they long to be kings of our lives. And, and what God says is, yes, that corrupts you. That's a terrible word to hear, but it does. And it takes our eyes off the glory of God. And in that corruption, we have little parasites that come and attack us. And God says, I've taken those away so that you can lie down, that you can find rest. Dallas Willard in his book about this says this, one of the greatest needs today is for people to really see and really believe the things that they already profess to see and believe. Knowing about things, knowing what they are, being able to identify them and say them does not mean that you actually believe them. Brothers and sisters, hear this. When we truly believe what we profess, we are set to act as if it were true. Acting as if it were true means in turn that we are living as it were so. What he's saying is this, that we, many of us here who follow Christ, are easily able to say, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And we can say those words and we can read those words, but in fact our heart says, the Lord is my shepherd, I want and I want and I want. I'm not ready to lie down in green pastures. I'm not ready to be beside still waters. I want to find better pasture and I want to find more still waters that I want to find the best of the best and the cream of the crop, and I will be the sole arbiter and judge for that. That's what our heart screams out to us. But the simple fact is, is God says, no, I have already done it. I know what it is. And the bottom line is this, 
that in all these things, what we're recognizing and seeing over and over again, this place of want and this place meeting that want, this place where we see that we lay down and we are beside still waters and we are led and walked in righteousness, what we recognize is a place of trust and rest. Trust and rest is the response of any good sheep. What does this righteousness mean? We are righteous as we follow Jesus. See, the thing is, is when it says that we walk in these paths of righteousness, we can think of it being the right way to walk. Like there are things that we should be doing that will cause us to walk right. And if we do those things, then after we do them, then we will be seen as righteous. And there's a sense where that holds true. But it also can be the righteousness of God and Him imputing it, giving it to us, showing it to us as Jesus. So the fact is, is we are righteous as we follow after God. And God is righteous as He keeps His word to us. And the road that He leads us on is the best and most direct route from here to our heavenly home. And in this way, He is glorified. God is glorified in His name. God's reputation grows as His sheep follow Him. The biggest thing about this is about rest. Walter Bergerman wrote this great book called Sabbath as Resistance. That God ordained rest, that He created it, that He Himself took place in rest. That's what these sheep are doing here. They are resting. They've been led to the right place, to this place of still water and green grass and green pasture, and they lay down. Because they trust the shepherd, they can find rest. God himself rested. He ordained it as something, a rhythm that needs to take place. Walter Bergerman, when he says Sabbath as resistance, says that the world around us longs for us to be involved and hectic. The world around us wants us to constantly be moving so that we don't slow down enough to recognize that we're building our own little empires that will surely fall, but that God's empire reigns supreme and over and above. And by resting, we are shouting out in resistance saying, no, we will not follow that way and path of destruction. We will follow the path of righteousness, a path of trust and rest. There are multiple reasons why our soul needs to be restored. One of the things that some commentators say about this is that when you think about the way that the Jewish world viewed sleep, is it was often seen as a precursor to death. And so that each morning when you woke up and breathed, it was as if God restored your soul. For us, it is often that we are so far ahead of ourselves that we are moving so fast in our world that we have laid out the plans that we have set for our own lives that we have neglected the rest and so our soul is behind. There are so many circumstances like the sleeper that we are not doing anything uniquely human. It's as if we don't have a soul anymore. Kirshner in his book said this, that he once read of a group of tourists that were on safari in Africa. 
and that they had hired several native porters to carry their supplies while they trekked through Africa. And after three days, the porters told them that they would have to stop and rest a day. Now, they were not tired, they explained to those people who had hired them, but they said, we have walked too far, too fast, and now we must wait for our souls to catch up with us. Perhaps you feel that way after this holiday season. Perhaps all of 2018 seems like a blur. And it feels as if your soul is not present anymore, that you have lost all of your uniquely humanness that God has created in you for His glory. Perhaps it's because of relationships that have deteriorated in your life, that there are people that you have once loved and once loved you, but for some reason there was an argument, there was a disagreement, and there was friction that broke that relationship apart. And there's a sense that there is no more uniqueness in your humanity towards one another there. That you no longer see each other as human, you see each other as an object of aggression and offense. And what God is saying is trust and rest. Perhaps it was just that you were striving to attain that next goal, right? That in 2018 you knew that if I do these three things, if I get this done and this done and this done, then I will feel that I have progressed well enough in my life to be able to stand up and say 2018 was a successful good year. But in the midst of that, you have lost sight of relationships and you have lost sight of God and you have lost sight of who you are uniquely in how God has made you and the pursuit of a false dream has rung false. And you are hungry. <laughs> and you are irritated. And the Father says, I'm the good shepherd. I will provide all you need. Sit down. Rest. And trust. Perhaps the Father needs to restore your soul because you have great loss. Because there was someone that you loved that this year or in previous years have passed away. They have died and they are no longer present. You're not able to have that phone call or walk into that room and see them. And you are still in anguish over that. And it is a true anguish and a right anguish. You should not lose that. Don't think that God condemns that. As a matter of fact, we know that God steps into that completely and he recognizes it. He says, I bring you together in relationship. And so when that relationship separates, whether it be by the fact that there's an argument or by death itself, that there will be longing and there will be sorrow and that's a right place to be. But in it, we cannot allow ourselves to take our eyes off the good shepherd who says, rest and trust. I have what you need. Friends, it is hard for me to preach this sermon because I am the worst sheep in the world. I so long to be the shepherd of my own life. 
I constantly move and think and plan. I, I set agendas and build calendars. I look at to-do lists as if they are Scripture. And in my own heart, I determine that my kingdom come, my will be done, and I will be satisfied. I confess to you that trusting and resting is a terrible thing for me to preach because I am one of the worst. Because I feel like if I stop and slow down, then the world will fall apart. So I ask that this year, as we go through it together, that you will pray for me and that you will seek God for my heart and that when there are times where I say I need rest, that you will hold me accountable to it. And more than that, that not just when I recognize that I need rest, that you will say to me, you need rest. Go do it. But my promise is that I will do the same for you. Because when we're not resting, it is not resistance to the world. It is resistance to God. Because God says trust and rest. And so when we don't rest, we don't believe that God is in control. When we don't rest, we don't think that He has it in His hand. When we don't rest, we don't think that He, the Creator of the world, loves us beyond all shadow of a doubt. So let us commit, whether you are here for the first time, I ask you to commit to this as well, or you've been here for a long time. Let's commit to rest and trust God. To hold on to Him completely. Kirshner, when he's wrapping up a little bit of section in his book on this passage, he says this, when he's talking to people in his congregation. He says, I assure them that the love and the strength that they pour out to people, because a lot of times we need to have our souls restored because we're giving and giving and giving and giving. And God says, lay down and trust. I will restore your soul. I assure them that the love and strength are not like bank accounts that grow smaller as you use them. They are like muscles that grow stronger with use. And I urge them to rely on God to renew their strength so that they can go on working and not grow weary. When we have poured out all the love and all the strength that we have on behalf of people who need our love and our strength, when we have spent ourselves holding the hands of the fearful and dying and drying the tears of the grieving, when we have labored to feed the hungry and clothe the naked and build houses for the homeless, and despite all our efforts, the problems are still there, where do we find the strength to go on? When our souls are on the verge of giving in to compassion fatigue, when we know what the right thing to do is, but we are tired of being charitable and helpful, that is when we need God to restore our souls, to replenish our ability to act like human beings, to understand that what is asked of us is not to make the world perfect, but to make one person's life better. When events challenge our faith so that we find it hard to believe that this world is God's world, that, it is, that is when we need God to restore our souls, to reinforce our ability to believe in ourselves and believe in Him and in our ability to do good things. Even as our faithful shepherd gives his flock the food and the water they need to be sheep, God, our faithful shepherd, gives us strength of our souls when we need to be human. Let me pray for us. Father God, we are tired, we are irritated, and we are hungry, and we don't want to lay down. 
Father God, please teach us to trust you. Let us know that you are for us, that you are our shepherd, and we have not one. You are our shepherd, and you are all that we need. Father, if there's someone here today that has not known those words and have not seen your pursuit, open their eyes and their hearts to see it and know that you love them. And for those of us who have recognized that at some point, but oftentimes step on the thrones of our hearts and move you out of the way, remind us that you love us and that you provide for us all that we need. Father, you are good. You are good all the time. Let these words be your words. Let them bear fruit. And if they're not, let them burn up and go away. It's in Jesus' name we pray.